Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News for the week of November 17th, 2022. For today's reading, we will be covering the following stories. Fairmount Firebirds Burn Blue. Local elementary school receives prestigious Blue Ribbon by Corinne Westman for the Golden Transcript. Bond reduced for Avila in fatal hit-and-run case. Marquez scheduled for December 16th preliminary hearing by Corinne Westman for the Golden Transcript. All three Jefferson County ballot measures fail by Andrew Fraley for the Jeffco Transcript. Jeffco Board of Education votes to close 16 elementary schools by Andrew Fraley for the Jeffco Transcript. Remembering Nancy Young, Arvada's historian. The authority on all things Arvada, Young was a dogged researcher and an incomparable friend. By Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press. Holiday events coming to Old Town Arvada. Ice skating rink, tree lighting, Lagniape, and Saturdays with Santa highlight holiday happenings. By Riley Dunn for the Arvada Press and following up with various articles. Holiday events coming to Old Town Arvada. Ice skating rink, tree lighting, Lagniape, and Saturdays with Sante highlight holiday happenings by Riley Dunn. If you're looking for some holiday cheer, Old Town Arvada's upcoming slate of events has got you covered. Old Town Arvada Business Improvement District Executive Director Joe Hengsler provided details for holiday happenings, including a maker's market, an ice skating rink, an eggnog and cider competition, Saturdays with Santa, and more. Without further ado, here are some of the special events taking place in Old Town over the next few months. Ice Skating Rink, November 18th to January 29th. Arvada will have an ice rink for the first time since 2020. The Old Town BID purchased a 40-foot by 60-foot synthetic ice rink from Quick Rink, a manufacturer based in Minnesota, which will be set up in Old Town Square. From November 18th to January 29th, the rink will be open 3 to 7 p.m. Mondays through Wednesday, Wednesdays 3 to 9 p.m. Thursdays and Fridays, 11 a.m. through 9 p.m. Saturdays, and 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. Sundays. Skate rentals will be available, and Hanksler cautioned against using your own skates due to the nature of the synthetic rink. The fee, which includes skate rentals, is $10 for adults and $7 for children ages 12 and under. Hanksler said he tested the rink himself and called it, quote, the newest innovation in synthetic ice. It's fairly comparable to ice, Hanksler said. For those who know how to skate well, you can definitely do crossovers and stop pretty well. The surface is traditionally created for training for figure skaters and hockey players. Over the years, they've branched out and sold them to more downtowns. End quote. 
The Old Town bid piloted a rink in 2020, but Hanksler called the new rink a, quote, market improvement over prior years and cited the new rink's larger size and more level ground. He said the bid will be operating the rink for a number of years going forward. The rink is sponsored by CenturyLink, Lutheran Medical Center, and Colorado Party Rentals. Holiday Makers Market, November 25th to December 18th. The Holiday Makers Market returns this year every Friday, Saturday, and Sunday from November 25th to December 18th. The market is free to the public and will feature a rotating roster of local vendors and makers. This year, a completely new list of vendors will rotate through the market every week. The market will be held in Old Town Square from 4 to 7 p.m. on Fridays, 11 a.m. to 7 p.m. on Saturdays, and 11 a.m. to 4 p.m. on Sundays. Local businesses will host pop-up bars each week with New Image Brewing already on board. Quote, Over the last couple of years, we have really worked to grow this vendor list and word spread within the community that Old Town was a great place for them to come and be successful. Hanksler said. Some of the vendors lined up for this year's market include Sustainable Goods, Pet One's Broomfield, Painted with Fire, Adults and Crafts, and M2 Confections. Small Business Saturday, November 26th. At 10.30 a.m. November 26th, Old Town Will celebrate Small Business Saturday an annual event that aims to highlight local businesses. Schoolhouse Kitchen and Libations and Hunter Bay Coffee Roasters will provide free coffee and breakfast tacos to the first 100 people in attendance. The Old Town Bid will have to enter to win will have enter to win raffles for Old Town gift cards and merchandise. Quote, it's our way to celebrate Small Business Saturday. Our favorite holiday of the year, Hanksler said. It really is a, an important, important day for our small retailers, and they definitely fully embrace everyone coming out to support local. Old Town Tree Lighting, November 26th. From 4 p.m. to 8 p.m. on November 26th, the tree in Old Town Square will be lit up for the holidays. 57th Avenue will be close to car traffic for the occasion, which will begin with a march through Old Town at 5 p.m. Led by the Gorilla Fanfare Brass Band. At 6, the tree lighting countdown will be led by City Council members John Marriott and Lauren Simpson. Following the tree lighting, folks can get pictures with Santa and a holiday performance by the Elegant Plums will take place. The Old Town bid will serve alcoholic beverages for the event and the maker's market will have expanded hours saturdays with santa december's 3rd 10th and 17th on december 3rd 10th and 17th families can have breakfast with santa at schoolhouse from 11 a.m to noon followed by free pictures with santa available from noon to 3 p.m in Old Town Square. Lagniape Annual Eggnog and Cider Competition and Arvada Fire Chili Cook-Off, December 5th. 
December 5th will be a busy night in Old Town with three events running concurrently. Lagniape will feature local businesses, especially retailers, handing out small gifts with purchases throughout the evening. It's a great night to come down and do additional holiday shopping, Hanksler said. The 7th Annual Eggnog and Cider Competition is also taking place the evening of December 5th, with shops around Old Town serving their favorite seasonal beverage to patrons, who will then vote on the best sample. Last year, the Arvada Tavern won Best Eggnog Honors, and Flight's Wine Cafe won the Best Cider category. Hunter Bay Coffee Roasters won Best Non-Alcoholic Eggnog, while Scrumptious took home Best Non-Alcoholic Apple Cider for their Apple Cider Sorbet. Also on December 5th, the Arvada Fire Protection District will host its 11th Annual Firehouse Chili Cook-Off at the Arvada Elks Lodge. Last year, firefighters and one board member from Arvada Fire entered homemade chili contest, homemade chili in the contest with Station 5's B-Shift winning Most Delicious Overall Chili, while Station 2's Green Chili won that category. This year's chili cook-off will take place between 6 and 8 p.m. Remembering Nancy Young, Arvada's historian. The authority on all things Arvada, Young was a dogged research and an incomparable friend. By Riley Dunn. Nancy Young loved Arvada in a way that made you fall in love with it too. As she put it, Young was born in Arvada on January 7th, 1952. Quote, when the Arvada Square was a field, the Arvada Plaza was a field, and you knew it was a small town because everyone knew everybody's business. Young became an intrepid researcher who became the foremost expert on Arvada history during her lifetime. Young died in her home on November 4th after fighting an illness. She was 70 years old. Young is survived by her sister and brother-in-law, Susan and Daniel Westervelt both of whom live in Alaska, as well as many nieces and nephews. She's preceded in death by her parents, Catherine and Jack Young, and her brothers, John and Thomas. A 17-year board member of the Arvada Historical Society, where she contributed swaths of original research on the city's history, Young frequently volunteered at the McElvoy House and helped preserve the Historical Society's archives. More than anything, Young enjoyed sharing history with others. Quote, She just loved sharing the history with visitors who came in, Arvada Historical Society President Karen Miller said. She was our go-to person when we needed an article written or researched, when people call or have questions about the history of a house or their family. I would always refer them to Nancy. It's like Nancy and Arvada are synonymous to me, Susan Shirley a friend of Young's said, Almost everything I know about Arvada. History, I learned from her. She was always willing to help. If there was something you wanted to look up or some question that would give you insight into maybe your family or something else, Buddy Sexton, a friend of Young's, said, She loved research. She'll be sorely missed. 
armed with an unrelenting passion for the city that she attributed to her, quote, deep roots here. Young's love of the city came from being steeped in its lore. Young's grandfather was a member of Arvada's inaugural fire department. Her parents were lifelong Arvadans. A graduate of Arvada West High School, Young continued her studies at George Washington University and visited Arvada, quote, four, five, or six times a year when she lived at a state. After graduating with a degree in finance, Young worked as a bank stock analyst in New York City after college. She moved back in the early 2000s to take care of her ailing mother and stayed in Arvada ever since. They were one and the same, her and Arvada, Shirley said. Because they went back together way before anyone paid attention to Arvada. That was her place. This was her town. This was it. And her family was a big part of it. She's got actual memories of that terrible fire that happened in Old Town. End quote. A tireless advocate for preserving the city's charm and historic sites, Young meticulously took notes on Arvada City Council, Planning Commission, and Urban Renewal Authority meetings, and often engaged with city leaders at public forums. She was, in the words of Arvada Mayor Mark Williams, a true historian who knew more about Arvada than any other living person in our community at it at this time. There were times where Nancy and I did not see eye to eye, but one thing that we always saw eye to eye on was our mutual respect and love for this community, Williams said. We really lost a treasure. She was strong in her opinions, former Arvada City Council member Nancy Ford said. I think that's a positive trait. I think people didn't understand Nancy in some ways. I think people saw her as a troublemaker. But I think she was really concerned about her city. And when someone cares that deeply, it's rooted in their body. It's very much a part of who they are. Dedicated to preserving Arvada's small town feel. Young was a founding member of Stop Arvada Walmart, which later led her to become a co-founder of Arvada for All the People, which sued the city of Arvada over the Old Town Residencies Development, commonly known as the $30 land deal, which is currently under construction. Young's passion was ever-present in her advocacy, but never at the expense of her scrupulous historical knowledge or kindness. To wit, many of the folks who were involved in a citizen action group with Young, groups with Young, count her as a close friend. Quote, I don't know anyone who cared about Arvada as much as Nancy did. Not just about our history, but about our present and our future. Arvada for all the people, co-founder and Young's friend Harriet Hall said. This is clear from the time and energy she put into teaching school children about Arvada's history and the value of our community and her keen interest in issues related to the development, not just of Old Town, but of our whole city, Hall continued. Quote, even though we are both Arvada natives, I didn't meet Nancy until early 2013. Young's friend Cindy, Cindy Kreutzer said, We were both involved in citizen groups opposing two new urban renewal projects at the same time. Nancy was passionate about her hometown and was not afraid to voice her opinions to anyone who would listen. 
She did so dozens of times, and whether or not you agreed with her, you could count on her information being completely accurate. Courts are continued. Quote, Nancy was someone who I trusted and who was always very friendly. Young's friend Debbie Hansen said she was a straight shooter and could back up what she was talking about with facts. She loved Arvada and was always willing to share information about it. Miller said that Young was a champion of what she called, quote, old Arvadans, longtime residents of the city who are passionate about maintaining the community's spirit. Growing up in Arvada when she was a child, Arvada was kind of a one-horse town. And Arvada just has a history compared to a lot of the surrounding cities and suburbs, Miller said. And I think that the people who grew up in Arvada are what we like to call the old Arvadans. They really care. They realize that the community's personality is so much shaped by the history. To this day, it kind of helps people to keep that small town feel and reputation for being friendly and so on, Miller continued. It's because the people that grew up here, the old Arvadans, still view it as a small, friendly town. She was able to impart that perspective and love for Arvada on those who knew her. At one city council meeting, Young spoke out against a conditional use permit for a business park on Indiana Street that would lead to the demolition of the last remaining homestead of Ralston Crossing, a settlement that was a forerunner of Arvada. The proposal was passed by council, but Williams recommended that the developer work with Young on a plaque for the homestead. Quote, I certainly appreciate the history developer kenny lombardi said i had no idea of the history there i'm not opposed to a sign if someone wanted to provide the sign for us we would certainly try to incorporate that in our landscape because it has some neat history recently lombardi said that he and his wife had been periodically going out to lunch with nancy over the last few months and that he was still planning on installing a commemoration for the site once it is completed It's still in the works, Lombardi said. There will be something there. Young didn't stop there. She portrayed the homesteader, Frank McQuiston, at that year's Arvada Historical Society Cemetery tour and handed out small bee-stuffed animals to commemorate McQuiston's role in bringing honeybees to Colorado. She clarified why so many things in town are named Ralston, spoke out against last year's cancellation of the Arvada Harvest Festival, helped design a mural of the city's history at one of her favorite restaurants, The Butchery, and educated folks on the beginnings of the historical society. From the community editor, Nancy did not like publicity or sometimes credit for her historical knowledge. She believed it belonged to everyone. The last time I worked with her was at this year's cemetery tour where she portrayed Gail Doc Gilbert, a two-term mayor of Arvada. She asked that if I had to take a picture of her, I'd do so from far away to capture the crowd of onlookers and not focus on her. The Arvada Press wrote a profile of Nancy in 2015 that many of her friends consider the most she ever shared about herself publicly. 
It concludes with the following statement from Nancy. Quote, Above all, I care passionately about my home and I believe in integrity, respect, and honesty. Honesty will get you everywhere. I have never met anyone who managed to be so unapologetically honest yet so unrelentingly kind. Nancy personified Arvada, but in a way, the city is a reflection of her as well. There's a unique friendliness that persists here, a small-town hominess that remains even as the city grows. Wherever honesty, kindness, and a love of history exists here, it will be, at least in part, because of her. Arvada will never truly be without its greatest champion, Nancy Young. Nancy's sister is organizing a celebration of life, the details of which will be published in the Arvada Press when they are available. The family requests that donations in her memory be made to the Arvada Historical Society. Jeffco Board of Education votes to close 16 elementary schools by Andrew Frehley. The Jefferson County Board of Education unanimously voted to close 16 elementary schools on November 10th, approving a consolidation plan initially presented to the board by the district on August 25th. Under-enrollment and lack of resources were continuously cited by the district and board over the last three months for why the consolidations are necessary. With specific attention to inequity in school programs due to stretched district resources. An hour-long public comments before the vote showed no parent, teacher, or community member speaking in support of the decision, though. Closing 16 schools with no public process or input the way you have done it is not appropriate, Sarah Stites, a local business owner and former Jeffco teacher, said. Many parents and community members see the decision as rushed and lacking sufficient input from the community. Calling the community meetings and public hearings that each closing elementary school had performative, as board member Paula Reed put it. However, she clarified, quote, that these sessions were not for debating whether or not to close these schools, but rather how best to make the transition. Perhaps we jumped into that too quickly. If I thought that regional opportunities for thriving schools would cause kids to lose anything without gaining a great deal in return, I would absolutely vote no, she continued. As an educator, I cannot leave some kids in under-resourced schools, while others get everything they need and more. Board member Mary Parker similarly pointed to programs like special education and how consolidations will help address their limited resources and the negative effects that that can have on the program in the long term. Parents of Emory Elementary now slated for closure and the only school with a dual language program consolidating into one without are similarly concerned for the program in the long term. If the district doesn't provide us with the support or the resources, that training that the teachers need, it's going to disappear, 
Ada Klein, a parent from Emory, said after the vote. Lisa Rallal, the Chief of Strategy and Communications at Jeffco Public Schools, said afterward that there is a transition plan in the works that parents will have access to in time for December enrollment. Even as the board spoke continuously on how consolidations will help this stretch of resources and funding, parents and community members have argued it is a rushed plan and do not see it as well thought out. The district does not have a long-range plan or even a close phase, clear phase two after closing 16 schools, Cheryl Lammers said in public comment. We as stakeholders cannot make informed decisions about the future education of our children or the impact on our property values. Board member Susan Miller spoke before the vote, said that consolidation is not a solution in itself to their $40 million budget deficit or the other issues of equity the district is having, but quote, just one step we will have to take in this long, hard process. Trust was brought up repeatedly in public hearings and meetings before the vote and during public comment the day of. Destiny Farr of Lakewood called trust for Jeffco schools quote scarily low and alana ritchie said quote i've gotten to the point that i've lost all trust board president stephanie shuley acknowledged that loss of trust is comments in comments before the vote afterwards she told colorado community media that delivering on the commitment the board made with this vote is partly how she wants to rebuild that trust that and being reflective and changing practice where necessary to make community members feel more meaningfully engaged. She also points to the actual resolution. Quote, we thought long and hard about how we would integrate those voices and concerns, fears and of parents, she said, and we did that through the resolution itself. She also said the board was able to address almost every question or comment that came up over the course of the community engagement. Quote, they're responded to within the resolution as a direction from the board. So the district is held accountable for those things, Shuley said. Elementary schools to be consolidated. 16 elementary schools will not be consolidated into others not more than 3.5 miles away. Bergen Meadow, Campbell Elementary, Colero Elementary, Emory Elementary, Glennon Heights Elementary, Green Mountain Elementary, Color Strand Elementary, Moholm Elementary, New Classical Academy at Vivian, Parr Elementary, Peck Elementary, Pfeiffer Elementary, Sheridan Green Elementary, Thompson Elementary, Wilmore Davis Elementary, Witt Elementary. All three Jefferson County ballot measures fail by Andrew Frehley. 
Marijuana growth and sale in unincorporated Jeffco, along with a possible sales tax on it, have failed. Voters are decided against the approving ballot measure 1A and 1B, the sale and production of marijuana in unincorporated Jeffco, and sales tax on it, according to unofficial election results as of November 11th. Unincorporated areas like Evergreen and Conifer were included as well as South Jeffco, but large areas within and around Lakewood would have been included as well, such as almost the entire area surrounded by US-285 and C-470. Ballot measure 1B would have been a sales tax resolution of 3-6% to on the marijuana products. The resolution estimated an added $600,000 in taxes would have gone to Jeffco within the first fiscal year with the 3-6% to tax on marijuana sales continuing after. Jeffco Tabor will not change. The taxpayer's Bill of Rights for Jeffco will remain unchanged as ballot measure 1C fails, according to unofficial election results as of November 11th. It would have limited only property taxes, removing the ceiling for other taxes, allowing the county to keep more revenue. The resolution pointed to lower tax income to the county during the pandemic as a cause for reduced county operations and services. And this change to Tabor limits would have helped those budgets around rebound. Tabor works on, by putting a ceiling on the county income, be it tax revenues, grants, or money from the state. Passing that ceiling would require the county to send checks to residents for the surpassing amount, about $17.6 million dollars, and excess funds are being refunded for 2022. Turn to the Colorado Sun for news across the state. The Colorado Sun is a journalist-owned, award-winning news outlet that strives to cover all of Colorado so that our state, our community, can better understand itself. In this way, the Sun contributes to a more vibrant, informed, and whole Colorado. The Sun launched in 2018, is committed to fact-based, in-depth, and non-partisan journalism. It covers everything from politics and culture to the outdoor industry and education. Now, the Colorado Sun co-owns this and other Colorado community media newspapers as a partner in the Colorado News Conservancy. The Sun is CCM's partner for statewide news. For Colorado Sun stories, opinions, and more, and to support the Sun's mission as a member or subscriber, visit coloradosun.com. Fairmount Firebirds Burn Blue. Local elementary school receives prestigious blue ribbon by Corinne Westman. The Firebirds of Fairmount Elementary School have transformed from red to blue, burning hotter and brighter than before, as the school recently received the prestigious Blue Ribbon Award. In September, the U.S. Department of Education named Fairmount as a 2022 exemplary high-performing National Blue Ribbon School. Only four schools in Colorado received the award this year, Principal Sally Mills explained, and it was based on three years' data 
and months of application work. Mills told the students that being named a Blue Ribbon School was like winning the state competition in sports and then going on to nationals. On November 9th, the Fairmount community students, staff, parents, and supporters celebrated with a special aerial photo of the student body in the shape of a blue ribbon. Celebrations also included singing the school's spirit song before eating popsicles and cookies. You should be so proud of yourselves, Jeffco Superintendent Tracy Dorland told this school community. This award is well-deserved. Assistant Principal Chris Cruz felt likewise, describing how she was immensely proud of all the students, staff members, and community members' hard work. During the November 9th celebration, Mills thanked the current and former students whose diligence has made this possible, and all the teachers and staff members who've dedicated themselves to supporting students in the classroom and around the school, the parents, volunteers, PTA members, and other community, other supporters who make Fairmount feel like a community. Dorland said she was grateful to all these groups, but also wanted to recognize Mills and Cruz for all their efforts as Fairmount's principals. The Blue Ribbon Award had a multi-tiered application process, Mills explained. The Colorado Department of Education nominated Fairmount based on three years' worth of data. Then, the school had to submit an intense proposal, which Mills said staff started working on last spring. At the very end of the application, Mills said one of the questions asked about what sets Fairmount apart from other schools. Mills described how the teachers' collaboration in their professional learning communities over the past six years has bolstered them and subsequently the school. Mills was overjoyed to see Fairmount receive the award. She believed it was a testament to how hard the staff members have worked in recent years, saying, quote, teaching is a hard profession and very time-consuming. With the blue ribbon in hand, though, Fairmount can't afford to rest on its laurels, she continued. She wanted the school to continue its best practices and social-emotional emphasis and encourage the students to keep working hard in the classroom. Who knows? Mill told the school community, maybe we'll win another blue ribbon. Bond reduced for Avila in fatal hit-and-run case. Marquez scheduled for December 16th preliminary hearing by Corinne Westman. The 25-year-old man who was arrested as an accessory in the fatal hit-and-run outside a golden bar had his bond reduced from $100,000 cash to $50,000 cash. Ernesto Avila and co-defendant Ruben Marquez, 29, had separate court appearances the week of November 7th. The two were arrested on October 9th after Marquez reportedly drove Avila's truck into a crowd of people outside the Rockrest Lodge. One man was killed and several others were injured. The district attorney office had filed 17 charges against Marquez, including first-degree murder, vehicular homicide, and multiple assault charges. Havila, the truck's owner, was believed to be a passenger during the incident outside the Rock Rest. 
However, Jeffco Sheriff's deputies reported Avila was driving when JCSO stopped the vehicle shortly afterward. He's been charged with one felony count of accessory to a crime. Avila appeared in court November 7th for a bond reduction hearing. An arraignment was also scheduled, but was continued to 3.30 p.m. on January 9th. Avila may enter a plea at that time. Marquez appeared in custody November 9th for a motions hearing, during which the court, defense attorney, and prosecutor discussed discovery procedures ahead of his December 16th preliminary hearing. Judge Lindsay Van Gilder noted how Marquez's preliminary hearing will start at 8.30 a.m. and is expected to last all day December 16th. Marquez will appear in person, although Van Gilder said other participants may attend via WebEx or in the courtroom. Avila's bond reduced. Avila was present in the courtroom November 7th after posting a $100,000 cash bond shortly after his arrest. While Jeffco Sheriff's Office investigators are recommending several possible charges against him, Avila's attorney noted how the district attorney's office only filed one charge against his client. Thus, the defense felt the court should consider reducing the $100,000 bond to $10,000. Avila's defense attorney noted his low-risk score based on a pretrial assessment, saying Avila has a stable address and employment and doesn't have a passport. The prosecution objected to lowering Avila's bond, citing the seriousness of the allegation and how Avila was reportedly the one behind the wheel in the aftermath and was intoxicated at the time. Van Gilder remarked on the results of the pretrial risk assessment, saying Avila's previous criminal history was two driving offenses from 2012 to 2015. However, she also acknowledged the serious allegations against Avila, saying she was concerned he'd driven away from the scene of a crime. She decided to reduce bond to $50,000 with conditions that Avila doesn't seek a passport, consume drugs or alcohol, possess a weapon, return to rock rest, or have contact with Marquez or anyone involved in the case. Avila must also continue his pretrial supervision. Van Gilder also expected Avila to attend his January 9th arraignment in person. The October 9th Incident The arrest affidavits for Marquez and Avila describe how the two and another man rode together in Avila's truck to the Rock Rest Lodge on October 8th. They had several mixed drinks throughout the night and reportedly talked to another group, quote, about gang issues. Accounts vary on whether the discussion was light banter or more contentious. Around 1.30 a.m. October 9th, a verbal confrontation between Marquez's group and the other group outside reportedly escalated into a fight. Witnesses described a man matching Marquez's description as getting into Avila's white truck and driving it into the crowd, with one witness telling investigators, quote, the way he swerved into people was on purpose. Several Rockrest patrons and employees were injured, and 26-year-old Adrian Ponce was killed. Of those who were injured, four were transported to the hospital, including two bar employees. All were expected to make full recoveries, JCSO stated on October 10th. 
JCSO also stated October 10th that investigators hadn't confirmed whether it was a gang-motivated crime, and they didn't believe any of the parties involved knew each other before their encounter at the Rock Rest Lodge. How sober curiosity can turn into a lifestyle change. Movement has grown after influential book by Dana Knowles, Rocky Mountain, PBS. Sydney Golden battled various unknown health issues for 20 years. Everything from allergies, headaches, bloating, joint pain, fatigue, depression, and anxiety. Visits to medical specialists didn't give her any concrete answers and she was repeatedly told nothing was wrong with her. I would walk around as a healthy looking person, but I felt horrible, Golden said. Even though Golden was never a heavy drinker, she decided to make a lifestyle change and stop consuming alcohol four years ago. And the results were surprising. Golden emphasizes that even when she would have only one or two drinks, her body always felt that the next day but not anymore. When I don't drink, there's no brain fog, there's no lethargy, there's no fatigue. There's a totally different feeling, she added, saying that her mood imp immediately improved. I have motivation, I have no aches, I have no pains in my body, I have no more bloating, no more stomach issues, it's just better for me. Caitlin Opland, a licensed clinical social worker who works for ThriveWorks, a mental health company, Opland says over the last few months, she has been working with more and more clients who were on a similar journey of wanting to cut out alcohol, not because of a problem, but because they want to explore a different way of living. I've had many clients come to me and say, I don't think it's a problem, but she explained, adding that she typically asks clients what's influencing their curiosity about sobriety and the possibility of no longer drinking. Many people hesitate because they don't want to have a label themselves as an alcoholic, but they still want to make a lifestyle change. The Sober Curious movement has grown in recent years after author Ruby Warrington published the book called Sober Curious in late 2018. A civic science survey published last month shows a greater percentage of people report they are curious about living a sober lifestyle from 12% in 2020 to 19% this year. Opland feels that educating her clients about what's considered too much alcohol, according to the Substance Abuse and Mental Health Services Administration, or SAMHSA, helps people make more informed decisions. The guide for healthy drinking limits for women is 8 drinks a week, and for men it is 15. She added, saying that most people are surprised when she tells them. That educational piece actually tips them over from being curious to actually taking the first step, end quote. The Centers for Disease Control and Prevention, or CDC, also says that even minimal amounts of alcohol or any kind of increase a person's risk for several types of cancer. Quote, the benefits of being alcohol-free are it's better for your kidneys, your liver, your skin. You'll feel better, but you'll also sleep better and eat better, said Opland. Opland added that one of the biggest barriers to people exploring an alcohol-free lifestyle is peer pressure from society itself. Quote, the media influences us, 
Families influence us. Holiday coming up influences us. Work influences us, Opland said. Both Golden and Opland say the best advice they can give anyone who might be sober curious is to start by setting boundaries. You can have a mocktail or a club soda, said Golden. It looks like a drink, in case you're not ready to tell people you don't want to drink anymore. Is it a last family gathering? Is it grandpa's last visit? Do you actually want to go? Is it a champagne toast at a wedding where you can just put Sprite in the glass? Opland added, explaining that she encourages her clients to ask themselves these types of questions. Are there alterations to drinks so you can still participate? Sometimes the temptation is too big, and that's okay. The story is from Rocky Mountain PBS, a nonprofit public broadcaster providing community stories across Colorado over the air and online, used by permission. For more and to support Rocky Mountain PBS, visit rmpbs.org. Colorado was second state to legalize magic mushrooms. Measure passed by thin margin. Jennifer Brown of the Colorado Sun. Ten years after legalizing the use and sale of marijuana, Colorado became only the second state in the U.S. to legalize the use of psilocybin mushrooms. The ballot measure, Proposition 122, squeaked across the finish line as ballots were tallied the day after Election Day, receiving 51% of the vote. Proponents called it a, quote, truly historic moment. Colorado voters saw the benefit of regulated access to natural medicines, including psilocybin, so people with PTSD, terminal illness, depression, anxiety, and other mental health issues can heal. Co-proponents Kevin Matthews and Veronica Lightning Horse Perez said in an emailed statement to Wednesday evening. Natural Medicine Colorado, which got Proposition 122 on the ballot, spent nearly $4.5 million to promote the measure. In contrast, the primary opposition, Protect Colorado's Kids, raised about 51000 The measure will allow people 21 and older to grow and share psychedelic mushrooms, as well as create state-regulated centers where people could go make appointments to consume psilocybin, the hallucination-inducing compound derived from psychedelic mushrooms. It calls for licensed, quote, healing centers to give clients mushrooms in a supervised settings, but unlike marijuana, does not include an option for retail sales. Once again, Colorado passed a drug measure that's illegal under federal law. Psychedelic mushrooms became illegal in the U.S. in 1970 under the Controlled Substances Act. Even with Proposition 122's passage, psilocybin remains federally classified as a Schedule I controlled substance, like heroin, for which there is no current medical use. Colorado became the first to legalize marijuana a decade ago and is second only to Oregon in legalizing psilocybin. Luke Niferatos, chairman of Protect Colorado's Kids, said he was concerned as a parent and for Colorado's public health. Quote, Now we need to have a very frank and public conversation about who is in charge of the medicine. He said, this is now the second time our state has rejected the FDA process. Niferatos, who is also executive vice president of the Foundation for Drug Policy Solutions, said Colorado has allowed, quote, 
billionaires, startups, and entrepreneurs to take control of medicine in this state instead of scientists, medical doctors, and the FDA. Niferatos said that if opponents of the measure had been able to raise enough money to educate the public about the dangers of allowing the use of drugs with no regulated dosage amounts or prescriptions, Proposition 122 would have failed. Quote, We can't compete with $4 million from out of state, he said, adding that proponents of the measure and the psilocybin industry will benefit from its passage, while his side had no payoff to entice big money donors. He's also concerned that the opening of psychedelic healing centers and advertising of the drugs in cities across Colorado will normalize drug use among young people, leading to more teens using psilocybin. There is no opt-out provision in Proposition 122 for cities and counties that do not want psychedelic healing centers, although cities and counties could enact rules about where the centers could open and their hours of operation. Proposition 122 also will allow facilities to expand to three plant-based psychedelics in 2026. Those are ibogaine, the root bark of an iboga tree, mescaline, which is from cacti, and dimethyltryptamine, or DMT, a natural component found in plants and animals. Mental health centers and substance abuse treatment clinics could also seek licenses to offer psychedelic treatment. The natural medicines used to treat anxiety and depression are obtained now through friends who grow them or from underground, quote, trip guides who sit with clients during a psychedelic experience then help them process afterward. Three years ago, Denver residents voted to decriminalize psychedelic mushrooms, making possession a low priority for law enforcement. With the passage of Proposition 122, Governor Jared Polis has until January 31st to appoint 15 members to the National Medicine Advisory Board, which will report to the Colorado Department of Regulatory Agencies. The board's first recommendations are due by September 30th, and regulated access to psilocybin would become available in late 2024. Then, by June 2026, the state Department of Regulatory Agencies could expand access to the three other plant-based psychedelics. This story is from Colorado Sun, a journalist owned news outlet based in Denver and covering the states. Thank you for listening to the Jefferson County News. My name is Gregory Haddock.